Has arrived today, January 15th, coinciding coincidentally with Martin Luther King Day, uh, is the day of the Iowa caucuses. And I think that it's interesting to note on Martin Luther King Day, as we celebrate the life of that great man who was taken from us too soon, that he was a registered Republican. Hi everyone, I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another episode of the Jamie Dury Show podcast. If you've not already done so, please subscribe to the show, and you can do so in one of several easy ways. You can either go to the Google Play Store or the iTunes App Store, download the free Podbean app, and search out the Jamie Dury Show, or you simply use your native podcast aggregator app on whichever device you use, search out the Jamie Dury Show, and subscribe that way. Whichever way you decide to subscribe, You'll be able to leave reviews, comments. We need more of both. Please give us a five-star review. We try and do a good job for you. Uh, and the more reviews we get, the faster the show will grow. And the faster the show grows, uh, the more offerings we can bring to you. So uh, please, please help us out. Another announcement I'd like to make at this time is we're changing for convenience and for logic our email address. We are no longer going to be getting emails at jamiedury1776 at gmail.com. So if you've been using that email address or you plan on using it, forget it. We made it very simple. The new email address is thejamiedurieshow at gmail.com. Thejamiedurieshow at gmail.com. So that's where you need to send all correspondence. Now, before we get to the Iowa caucuses, um, a very interesting little side note I wanted to hit. Uh, on the way up in the morning, I listened to a lot of talk radio. Uh, I think the radio is one of the greatest things you can have in your car. It's the most efficient way of getting information. And uh, podcasts now are equally accessible on your radio via your Bluetooth. So your radio is one of your most important tools in your car. And I think... Um, People would be, um, would be very, very surprised that if they would only uh, abstain from watching television uh, and just listen to the radio, how well-informed they would be and how much nonsense they would miss just by getting your news from the radio. It's communicated in a much more efficient way. They're able to really delve into issues, especially some of your talk radio shows, so... While I was listening, I was listening to an interview on WABC this morning with Mayor Eric Adams of the city of New York, my hometown, uh, with Sid Rosenberg, who's one of the uh, drive-time hosts in the morning commute. And they were talking about the migrant crisis. And one of the things that I was struck by, uh, and this is the thing that the Democrats, it's so illustrative of their of their out of the mainstream thinking. He refused to call these people illegal immigrants. They were legal immigrants as far as he's concerned, 
because they followed procedures that the federal government had put into place and were being paroled into the country. And so therefore, they're here legally. It never entered into the mayor's thinking that they got here illegally first by crossing the Rio Grande uninvited, without permission, and then by some contrivance that the senile old bastard in the White House, in violation of federally passed law by the legislature, that is the Congress of the United States, uh, is somehow sanitizing these people and saying, well, they've been paroled into the country pending hearings. They are illegal immigrants. They have no right to be here. They have no permission to be here. They should be removed. And not only are they bringing a wave of crime, uh, they are bringing a wave of disease. All manner of diseases that we had gotten rid of in this country are now coming back in force with all these illegals, tuberculosis, the whooping cough, all things we had eradicated because the Democratic Party has decided to put the American people second and illegal immigrants first in the hopes that they can make elections um, a moot point and not necessary because they're going to play Santa Claus to everyone with your money and try and somehow figure out a way to let these people vote in national elections. That's your Democratic Party. And I think Dr. King showed just how brilliant he was by being a registered Republican because he knew, like I know and many of you know, that the Democratic Party was the party of slavery, was the party of the Ku Klux Klan, was the party of Jim Crow. And he wanted no part of any of those three things. So he was a registered Republican. Kudos to you, Dr. King. Obviously, there's a reason why people like you were called visionaries, because you can see the forest from the trees. So I thought that was extremely, extremely interesting that uh, Eric Adams tried to make that argument. They even went so far as to close a school in Brooklyn for a day just to house illegal immigrants. And the children who go to that school were prevented from going to school. These are presumably taxpaying New Yorkers' children who were told to stay home and learn remotely so illegal immigrants could take your seat. And I don't even know if they did anything to disinfect that school from all the diseases that these people brought with them. Nobody's being checked for COVID or anything else. Just let them right in. I couldn't go into a restaurant without showing a COVID vaccine, but these people can come across the border and do whatever they like, and they don't have to show anything. In addition, we give them $2,000 in cash and a free cell phone. Nothing like America, huh? So, today is the day of the Iowa caucuses, and... President Donald Trump, former President Donald Trump, is riding high, way ahead of these caucuses. Now, there are all type of people saying this could be a bad thing because so many people could say he's got it sewn up and they don't come out. If you really think that the president is going to lose the Iowa caucuses, you're out of your bird. Now, maybe he might not do as big, and that's only because of the weather. Weather in Iowa right now is absolutely Brutal. Wind chills could register as low as 40 degrees below zero in central Iowa. Uh, but Donald Trump has gone on a two-week blitz of Iowa, getting a whole chunk of new endorsements. Um, 
This is the largest campaign event of the pre-caucus weekend that he just did. High rankings, opinion polls. Vivek Ramaswamy had made a mistake and said some things that he shouldn't have said about Donald Trump, saying that Donald Trump was wounded uh, politically, you got to support me, and Trump decided he had it with Ramaswamy trying to campaign on his name and portraying himself as Trump light. And he issued a statement over the weekend, and the four points in support that Vivek Ramaswamy picked up, he just as quickly lost. Because now the field is down to four, in addition to Donald Trump, with the exodus of the whale. Chris Christie from the race, he was drawing about four points, and he bailed out because he said he saw no path to victory beyond Iowa. That's apparently the only place he was getting any traction, and uh, four points isn't much in the way of traction. Uh, so even though he looks like an old rubber tire, but no traction there. Never liked Chris Christie. Thought he was full of himself. Um, he's a, a traitorous bastard, much in the same way Nikki Haley is. I mean, she was the governor of South Carolina, not exactly center ring. Trump elevated her to the United Nations ambassador, and now she wants to put the knife of ingratitude into him the same way as Ron DeSantis did, and I think she's going to suffer a similar fate because Ron DeSantis at least has something on the ball. Unfortunately, people now see him as an establishment candidate. They see who's going to his fundraisers. They see he's involved with the Bushes and the like, and that's why Ron DeSantis, you don't even hear him mentioned in the conversation anymore. Everybody's talking about Nikki Haley because the establishment has decided they want Nikki Haley to run. Maybe the Democrats decided they want Nikki Haley to run because she can't win, and they want Ron DeSantis to be her vice president. Uh, and maybe the GOP establishment wants her to run. There's only one problem. Nikki Haley can't win. Nikki Haley's not the sharpest knife in the drawer, and she's in over her head. The country is a swamp. There's too much corruption going on. She's not going to be able to hold up to it. The only person that can straighten this swamp out is a man with nothing to lose, a man who's in for one term, doesn't have to curry favor with anyone because he's not planning on running again because he can't by statute, and that would be Donald Trump. He's the only one with the balls to do it. Now, look, we've had this conversation before. I know people think he has no filter. I know some of you say, I don't like the way he talks. He's this, he's that, he's this, he's that. Listen, all you need to do is study history to understand why he is the man. There's a phrase, it's called a man for the times, or in this day and age, a woman for the times. You can point to numerous times, not only in this country's history, but the world's history, where it was saved by imperfect people because they were men for the times. George Washington was a slave owner. Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner. Yet between them, one wrote the Declaration of Independence, or a substantial part of it. The other one led the Continental Army and won our independence from the British. Abraham Lincoln was a manic depressive, but he wrote the Emancipation Proclamation abolished slavery, and kept the Union together when the South wanted to rebel, threatening to fracture the country. 
imperfect man, man for the times. World War II, Churchill, all of England, a country that had 400-year history of ripping up other countries as a colonial power, was ready to shrink from its responsibility as a nation-state and accede to the demands of a lunatic by the name of Adolf Hitler. Churchill saw to it that they didn't do that. He threatened to go on to the end. And with his leadership and the intervention of the United States later on, the Nazi fascist threat was beaten back. Churchill was not a perfect man, but he was a man for the times. The Japanese were a formidable enemy of the United States and the Allied powers. I find it hard to believe that we could have defeated Japan and administered it as well as we did without the leadership and military genius of Douglas MacArthur. MacArthur was an imperfect man, but he was a man for the times. We ran across Europe after D-Day, having previously run across North Africa and Sicily through no small part the direct result of the great leadership of General George Patton. Certainly an imperfect man, but a man for the times. I'm not suggesting in any way, shape, or form that Donald Trump is a perfect man. And I don't think that Donald Trump would suggest that he's a perfect man. But he's an excellent leader. He's a man of vision. And he's a man who knows how to get things done. And he's a man of unbelievably powerful intestinal fortitude, and he's unequaled in that regard. He is simply fearless. And that is what we need in this corrupt swamp that we're in right now. Everyone has their hand out. The President of the United States currently is a thief. He's a senile thief, but he's a thief. And his son is a crackhead and a thief. Anybody who would call his son the finest man he's ever met, when his son is a man who divorces his wife, has an affair with his dead brother's widow, and then fathers a child out of wedlock with a prostitute and has to be dragged before court in order to be made to pay up the child support that he owes, is a scoundrel. If my son did that, I would say, look, I, I love my son. I'm supportive of him. I hope he finds his way but I would never say he's the finest man I ever met, not if he had a record like that. The Bidens are filth. They're trash. But Donald Trump is a wrecking ball, and that's what you need right now. You need a wrecking ball because the building needs to be demolished. Congress is corrupt. Every day we're getting more and more information that's coming out about January 6th, how he offered the use of the National Guard, and how Nancy Pelosi deliberately did not want the National Guard deployed there because she's in charge of the Capitol building. She wanted things to get out of hand. They had facilitators in the crowd to make sure that things get out of hand. And even though Donald Trump said, protest peacefully and orderly, they still want to try and blame him as starting an insurrection. Not going to happen. Not going to work. Now, Donald Trump, by all accounts, has a much stronger ground game now than he did back in 2016 
And so, so far, his volunteers have collected 50,000 commit-to-caucus cards from voters. And they've also lined up 2,000 caucus captains, which is more than one for each of Iowa's precincts. So they have high confidence that he's going to win. But even in a conservative paper like the Epic Times, they're trying to show, they're trying to play this game of fear. Oh, virtually every poll shows President Trump outpacing his Republican rivals by historic proportions nationally and in Iowa. That's a seemingly enviable position, but it is also fraught with danger. If his supporters assume victory is, quote, in the bag, they might feel their votes are unnecessary, potentially diminishing his vote totals. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think if anything diminishes the totals, it's going to be the prohibitive weather that's taking place in Iowa. And when you're getting temperatures with wind chills 40 below zero, uh, that's enough to keep a lot of people home. But the people out there in Iowa are a little bit hardy. They're used to that kind of weather, maybe not to that extreme, but they're not afraid of a little snow and a little cold. And I think you'll find them looking to come out and uh, make their voices heard. So we're looking forward to uh, seeing how this all shakes out. Uh, right about now, it's just about ready to get underway, I think, out there. So things are going to be pretty good. Right now, going into the caucuses, it looks like Trump holds almost a 34-point lead, percentage-wise, over his nearest rival. That's unprecedented. He has a 52% support that he's drawing. A distant second is Nikki Haley with 18%. Behind her, Ron DeSantis with 16%, and Vivek Ramaswamy at 7%. So I don't know how anybody expects to overcome that number. It just doesn't seem possible to me that they can do it. I just don't see how they can do it. So I would say Trump is going to win that uh, pretty handily. Now, there's a couple of other things that I wanted to talk about. First and foremost of those is the subject of the shooting of Ashley Babbitt. Now, those of you who are regular listeners to this show may recall that a while back, when this thing first happened, I had done numerous shows where I spoke about this incident, and I spoke to you uh, from a position of expertise in how police shootings take place and how uh, investigations are conducted. And I've said before that using my own home state of New York as a guide, because New York is far from a liberal state, it has what I consider to be fairly prudent laws governing the use of deadly physical force by civilians and by police. Basically, the laws in New York State, and I assume the federal government is probably no different, uh, recognizes two stages at which you can use deadly physical force. You can use it to prevent certain crimes or actions or terminate certain crimes or actions that are in progress. The other stage is the arrest stage. After the crime or conduct has taken place, you're allowed to use deadly physical force to effect arrest for these things. And the two lists are different. So let's start 
with the Prevent Terminate. Prevent Terminate allows people to uh, use deadly physical force to prevent or terminate one, deadly physical force, the imminent use of it against yourself or a third person, burglary in the first degree, robbery in the first degree, arson in the first degree, rape, kidnapping, and sodomy, first degree. You can use deadly physical force to arrest for murder, robbery in the first degree, manslaughter in the first degree, rape in the first degree, and sodomy in the first degree. Now, we can say it's a foregone conclusion that deadly physical force was not being used to effect an arrest because the actions were ongoing on January 6th. So what action did Ashley Babbitt commit that qualified for any of those things that I just said? Was she using deadly physical force or threatening it against this lieutenant or third person, Lieutenant Byrd? No. Was she trying to rob anybody in the first degree? No. Was she burglarizing first degree? No, because burglary in the first degree involves burglaring of a residence. This was at best trespassing, minor crime. Was she committing arson? No, she was not. Was she committing rape? No, she was not. Was she committing kidnapping? No, she was not. Sodomy? No, she was not. In short, Ashley Babbitt did nothing that warranted her being shot. And no one has come out from the federal government to state that there's a special statute or law or crime which, absent anything else I've said here, licenses a law enforcement agent employed by the Capitol Police to exercise that kind of deadly physical force against someone merely for entering the Capitol or destroying property in a a criminal mischief-like way. None of it. Ashley Babbitt was murdered. And the fact that nothing was done and this guy was allowed to skate is a travesty. You take an average New York City cop who'd exercise deadly physical force under similar situations, they'd be looking to hang him out to dry. But the federal government just skates along. And because it was Trump supporters... Nobody gives a hoot in hell. Well, apparently, somebody gives a hoot in hell because now we've got some undisclosed radio dispatches that have been obtained by the Babbitt family, which is suing Capitol Police. It seems that within a minute after firing the fatal bullet that struck Ashley Babbitt, this police lieutenant, Michael Byrd, issued a radio broadcast claiming that shots were being fired at him, which he knows damn well is a, law, is a lie, and that he was prepared to fire back when he had, in fact, already fired. And he wasn't firing back. He was firing. This, to me, tells me that Lieutenant Byrd already know he screwed up, and he was trying to lay the groundwork for a defense for himself, hoping that in the confusion, his shot would be remembered by people as a, sh- as a shot being fired at him and that he would be justified in firing back. But the point is, he fired the first shot. He fired the only shot. 
Now, this dispatch was previously undisclosed. This is information on this recording is contained in the federal lawsuit that was filed on the 5th of this month by Ashley Babbitt's widower, her husband, Aaron Babbitt. He's seeking $30 million from the U.S. government, and I hope he gets $300 million. Bird fired his Glock 22 40 caliber pistol, striking Miss Babbitt in the shoulder. In point of fact, the information states no shots were fired at Lieutenant Bird or his fellow officers. The only shot fired was the single shot fired by Lieutenant Bird at Ashley Babbitt. He heard the loud noise of the gunshot and he saw her fall backward from the window frame. Now, a few minutes before the shooting, a police dispatcher mistakenly reported they're taking shots into the house floor. Now, Lieutenant Byrd erroneously believed and acted on a false radio call and or false report of shots fired on the house floor occurring before he left the house floor and moved across the speaker's lobby to the adjacent retiring room. However, he hadn't shot anybody yet. He's acting on this false report. But once he arrived, as the report continues, a reasonably prudent officer in Lieutenant Byrd's position would have been aware that, in fact, the report was false and that the sound heard on the House floor was nothing more than glass breaking, not shots fired. And breaking glass has a very different sound than shots. Now, it says it isn't clear why Lieutenant Byrd made the statement that he was taking fire. I know why he made the statement that he was taking fire. Lieutenant Byrd knew he screwed up, and he was trying to cover it up. Now, I'm not one to see cops hung out to dry. I'll be the first one to defend a cop if there's something to defend. But this is beneath contempt, what he did. This is an unbelievably overt act of cowardice and incompetence, and he needs to be hung from the yardarm. And I hope that they get this pound of flesh, and I hope that when Donald Trump gets reelected that this case is reopened by the Justice Department and an investigation is conducted because there is no statute of limitations for murder. On a historical note, you may have heard me speak in the show in years past about one of the most incredible NFL football games ever played. It was played on December 31st, 1967 in Lambeau Field. It was between the Green Bay Packers, who was seeking to win the NFL title for the third consecutive time, which has never been done before or since, versus their old rivals, the Dallas Cowboys. The temperature at Lambeau Field was 15 degrees below zero at the start of the game, went down to 19 below zero, with wind chills down at 39 below zero. It was unquestionably the coldest game ever played. Three people in the stands died from exposure. Men on the field got frostbite. And they didn't have the high-tech information they had today. They didn't have the advanced warning. Nobody really knew that this cold front was going to come in. It was supposed to come in a day later. It moved in and surprised everyone. These were hardened men. The field was frozen like a brick. So cold was it that the, the game was given the name the Ice Bowl. 
Now, I've often said I don't think they would allow the game to be played if it was played today. But it appears that I spoke incorrectly because this past weekend we had an unbelievable game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Miami Dolphins. Unbelievable not because it was a close contest. It was uh, rather one-sided. It was 26-7 with the Chiefs prevailing at Arrowhead Stadium. But remarkable because at kickoff, it was 8 degrees below zero Fahrenheit with a wind chill of minus 28. Not as bad as the Ice Bowl, but bad. And kudos to the players for playing the game. And I'm sure they had better equipment and were better positioned than the Packers and the Dallas Cowboys wore back then, and the field was different. Back then, it was a muddy field that had been covered by a tarp, had heated coils at Lambeau, and when they peeled it back, it flash froze. It was like a brick. Uh, here, they're playing on AstroTurf, so they've got some cushion underneath. But anyway, you slice it. Playing an outside sport, even football, in eight degrees below zero Fahrenheit with wind chills of 27 below is no walk in the park. So my respect and hats off to the players on both teams for being able to play at all under such difficult conditions. Tonight we've got two more games in the wild card round, and then we'll see what happens next week. For the Jamie Dury Show... I'm Jamie Dury.